0: session with Dr. Farid Hulakoui.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dalaqui, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Instagram. Like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310 555 The book of the week for this week is Life Finds a Way, What Evolution Teaches Us About Creativity by Andreas Wagner. Life Finds a Way, What Evolution Teaches Us About Creativity. And as I mentioned on Monday's show, when I came across this book over the weekend at a bookstore, I was really excited by it and very interested by the title. And even the cover is beautiful with a bunch of butterflies on it. I'll post that probably later today or tomorrow. Um, And so far, it has been very interesting, about 50 pages in. And because it's more about evolution and biology, I have to read it a little bit more slowly and carefully, but it does seem very interesting and he's making a connection between what evolution can teach us about creativity and problem solving. And so far there's a buildup which has been very fascinating. So looking forward to finishing that book and sharing it with you next week. So here in the United States today is July 3rd and tomorrow is a national holiday, one of the biggest national American holidays, 4th of July, which in a way, celebrates America's independence from uh, England, and it's a very American holiday, and it's very celebratory for um, people to get together and uh, fireworks and all that good stuff. Have barbecues and enjoy that. And because of that, I thought maybe I could talk a bit about freedom or some types of freedom and what makes, I think, um, the freedom which we have in the United States so wonderful that people have in other countries as well. But in Unfortunately, some countries don't have them, including things like freedom of speech, which um, is an interesting one. sometimes people will do something I'll laugh because I'll say it's a free country and meaning that they can do anything. but yes there are a lot of freedoms we have in the United States it doesn't mean you can do anything um, but nonetheless coming back to this idea of freedom of speech and what I wanted to talk about was the freedom to disagree so being free to disagree which is a big part of what we have in the United States and other democracies like this, where we're allowed to disagree, even with the government, even with whoever is in power, that we don't have to be silent about that. But what we're seeing, especially in the United States and maybe even around the world, is that we're losing some of this freedom to disagree with one another. We are not allowing for people to have different opinions or to accept that they can have a different opinion. What I think is what freedom of speech should mean is that I fully believe in something and I have the right to say it, and even if I disagree with you, you absolutely have the right to share that belief and have that belief or thought or idea. And we can even talk about it. And that's something else that's being lost as well, because when we don't have this freedom to disagree with each other and i don't mean freedom as in a actual legal sense or that we don't have the right to actually disagree but what we're seeing in the country is that people are getting much more polarized they are in their bubbles where they're hearing news that agrees with what they believe they're surrounding by people themselves with people who feel the way they are and also getting rid of people in their lives who disagree with them and so they're getting more and more polarized and just completely surrounded by um, the information that already confirms what they think and believe and the biases they have, and it just becomes stronger and stronger, and we're becoming very divided. And so, right now, uh, we see in the United States, we don't really have one unified country. Maybe ironic that it's the United States as united in the uh, name of the country, but we're definitely not united at all. We've become very polarized, and people don't even feel that it's okay to tolerate disagreement. And I've talked before about some of the reasons why this might be happening, but we talk about the moral issues that can come up with politics. And rather than seeing it as different, this is my view, this is your view, it's becoming that this is my view, and if you disagree with me, you're either stupid or immoral or bigoted or a bunch of other bad judgmental terms that make you not even worth knowing or worth being in a relationship with. And unfortunately, that's something that I think is very unfortunate. And so to me, what really is a big part of our freedom is that freedom to disagree. We are allowed to disagree and have different opinions, and that's okay. Not only is that okay, but it's necessary. And not only is that okay, but it's the reality. We're never all going to think and believe the same thing. We don't want that. We need people to have different feelings, different thoughts, different beliefs. And we need to be able to have conversations and have discourse about these different thoughts and beliefs. If you see things differently from me, let me try to understand it. But we have taken such an identity that I am right and the way I feel about this thing is right. And if you like this candidate or if you like this issue, you are, you know, again, stupid, immoral, bad in whatever ways I can think of. And because of that, I don't want to even hear what you have to say. And I think this is very unfortunate. So when we think about how great it is to live in countries that have lots of freedoms like we do in the United States, I hope we can also respect this uh, concept that we have the right and we are free to disagree with, un- with one another and that is actually a very good thing and you even you'll see this when people for example are protesting and if people agree with the people that are protesting like that's great that's the american right to protest and to you know say what you don't believe in and diso- you know, be even civil disobedience is okay even if you're causing some kind of a nuisance or inconvenience that's okay But then when people are protesting with something you don't agree with, then it's the things of, this is a waste of time, what are they doing? And even worse than that, I think anytime you see a video of people protesting, and if they're blocking a street, you'll see people write things like, why doesn't someone run them over, or something like that. Now I know YouTube comments are not a good place to get hope about humanity, but still, it's heartbreaking to me that this is something acceptable to say, that if people are protesting hit them with your cars or run them over or whatever else. And so the inconveniences that are caused by having a democracy and having people have the right to disagree, we only see them when they are disagreeing in a way we also think or we believe. But when they don't agree with us, we think they shouldn't have that right. And that's not American at all. That's not what democracy is about, and that's not what freedom of speech and expression is about. We should have the right to disagree even if you don't agree with what they are saying. And so I was thinking of this in a cultural way or societal way, which I think is very important to think about. And I would hope we can move away from how polarized we have become and try to connect with one another, try to see the humanity in one another and and be in more of a connection, communication with each other. But also we have The right, and we are free to disagree within our families. And we also don't always allow for this at times. We think we have to think the same way, we have to feel the same way, we shouldn't create conflicts. And so, in a way, freedom of speech is the freedom to disagree. And if we have the freedom to think for ourselves and the freedom to believe what we believe, that means that we have the right to have disagreements and that disagreements are okay. And we need this in any family or any relationship to have genuine and healthy relationships if we are not allowed to disagree with each other if we're not allowed to express something we don't like well then we're not going to have a healthy genuine relationship because we don't know what each other is feeling and inevitably just as i was saying within a country people are going to have different thoughts and beliefs within even a family or within a marriage people are going to have different thoughts beliefs preferences that's just the way it is we're not always going to want think and feel the same way That's just what we get when we live with other people is there's differences. And we have to recognize those differences, at times celebrate the differences depending on what we're talking about, but also at times confront those differences. Hey, I like it like this. You like it like that. You want the house to look this way or to you this is an organized home. To me, this feels like it's messy. I want to leave at this time for the airport. You want to leave at this time and it's totally different because I'm more anxious about getting there on time and you are not and all these issues have to be confronted and they're going to be part of the situation but we have to feel that it's okay but most people are very uncomfortable when it comes to conflict they get very nervous they get very uh, upset they can't tolerate the discomfort that comes with disagreeing with a loved one or someone close to them and so they try to get rid of it either by denying their own feelings. And so if they're the people pleaser and they don't want to cause a disagreement, they'll just say they're okay or say they agree or whatever it is just to avoid the conflict, or they'll try to take away what you're thinking or feeling. No, no, you're okay with it this way. Or I know you're saying that, but you don't mind or just be okay with it this time. or something that'll just remove that disagreement because we feel that it's intolerable, but we have to embrace disagreement. We have to embrace, um, what happens when we actually share what we're thinking and feeling in that conflict? Because that's actually what's going to make us close. That's what's actually going to allow us to create a stronger relationship with each other. And I've mentioned this before that I've worked with couples that at times they still have this politeness in their relationship. And I'm not talking at all about respect. You should always respect your partner. Even in the worst fight, you should still have respect for them. Um, But there's a politeness that some couples have where they're just being nice with one another and not actually expressing disagreements or things that bother them or if they're upset about something because they think, well, it's going to hurt them or it'll be bad for the relationship or whatever else they might feel. And because of that, their relationship stays at a very surface level. They don't actually get that close to each other because they're not expressing what's going on within within them. But we should declare, just like tomorrow, is this uh, celebration of the freedom of the United States and different freedoms that we have, but that within your relationship we have this freedom to disagree. We are free to disagree with each other and that's okay. You don't have to always agree with me. I don't have to always agree with you. I don't have to always be happy about how things are and that's okay. And we also see this on the national stage where if someone is complaining about something and it's what you also agree with, you say, yeah, good job they're complaining. But then if people complain and you disagree, you say, oh, if you don't like this country, just leave which you commonly hear, which I think is kind of crazy. But that's the reaction. And some people feel this way in a relationship. Well, if you don't like me, just go. Or if you're not happy about something I'm doing or something in the relationship, why don't you just leave the relationship? And of course, if things are extreme enough, we should leave the relationship. But also we have to recognize that there's always going to be things that need to be worked on or maybe saying that a different way. Every aspect of the relationship has to be worked on, from how you communicate to how you do things to the sexual relationship to how you spend your time. All those things are going to involve work, which means you have to disagree, you have to express things, you have to be willing to embrace conflict. So when we say we're going to live in a free country and we want people to have freedom and to have rights, what comes with that is also the freedom to disagree, which means that we have to be able to tolerate disagreement and conflict and be okay with that and recognize it is okay to disagree. And not only is it okay, we want that. We prefer that to the opposite, which is that everyone has to hold everything in and pretend they agree just to keep some semblance of peace or calm, which isn't going to even last, but just to make us feel okay. So that was just something that came to my mind looking at 4th of July and how we celebrate freedom. And there are lots of different freedoms that we appreciate that we have, but a big one is that freedom of speech and expression. But to me, really, that comes down to a freedom to disagree. We are free to disagree and conflict and disagreement are not bad things or things we have to embrace in order to create good relationships whether we're talking about a romantic relationship or also at a cultural and societal level as well all right we've reached our first commercial break studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 you're listening to in session with dr fatty we will be right back Back in the previous segment, I was talking about being free to disagree uh, in honor, we could say, of 4th of July, which is tomorrow, celebrating independence for the United States. And one of the freedoms we have is freedom of speech. But to me, that freedom to disagree is so significant, both in society, but also in our relationships. Um, And I was thinking of a quote, but I didn't want to say it in the first segment. And I looked it up, and apparently there is disagreement exactly who said it so we can agree to disagree about who even said this quote um, but the quote is I disapprove of what you say but I will defend to the death your right to say it and here it says Evelyn Beatrice Hall but then I saw somewhere else that said Voltaire and then someone else said no Voltaire did not say that so we'll for now give that credit to Evelyn Beatrice Hall I disapprove of what you say but I will defend to the death your right to say it and that to me is Um, The essence of what we're talking about when we say agree to disagree or if you truly believe in freedom of speech and expression of ideas is that even if I disagree with you because I actually believe in that idea and that concept of freedom of speech so strongly, I will defend that right. And this also to me extends to when we defend the human rights of anyone, even if you don't agree with what they are doing or what they say, That human rights to me is something we should be fighting for, even if we know someone or we are ourselves of that group or not, when it's a human right. Um, I think sometimes it's funny, and I'm glad people have gotten backlash, that you'll hear politicians things say like, well, I care about women's rights because my wife is a woman and I have two daughters and a mom, and (laughs) uh, that those things are great. But you'd hope that you are fighting for women's rights because they're half the population and they're human beings and they deserve rights just uh, as men do and that that would be good for them and for all of society it does mean because you have to know someone but unfortunately we at times do act in that way well i don't care about lgbtq rights until i find out my daughter is a lesbian or i don't care about um, these rights or those rights until i encounter someone or i go through it myself i don't care about people who are experiencing homelessness until i myself am or someone in my family is and then i realize People need help, or oh, there's you know people with mental illness and they're crazy and leave them alone, and then your cousin um, turns out to have schizophrenia, and now you see the issue differently, and you realize people deserve. uh, We want to take care of those people, and so I would hope we recognize that human rights are not about figuring out who deserves them, who doesn't. Human rights are something that all humans should deserve, regardless. It's inherent in the word when you say human rights, but still. We have lots of discussions about that. So even when the issue of gay marriage was um, something that was being discussed and still, of course, is to some degree, but as far as the legal ramifications in many ways has been settled in the United States, people would have conversations about if they were okay with it or not, or if they should get married. And to me, it wasn't about if you were gay or knew knew anyone gay, but that you felt that everyone deserved all rights. Um, I don't let's say, drink alcohol, but if there was some law that was going to outlaw a certain group of people from drinking alcohol, I would fight against that law, not because I think drinking alcohol is good. So if they said Iranians are not going to be allowed to drink alcohol, I think it's not necessarily good for their health, there could be benefits to it as well, but because one group is being singled out and removing some rights that other people have, I would vehemently disagree with that and fight against it, not because I necessarily think that drinking alcohol is good, or that we need it, or it's so necessary, but that when one group gets left out, or when one group has its rights removed in some way, that's the problem, that's the bigger issue, and that becomes uh, my concern. So we should be aware of human rights being something that extends to all humans. I've talked about this before, that I think, uh, maybe even soon, but let's say generations in the future will look back at us and laugh that we even had debates or discussions about certain rights being afforded to certain people because they'll say, well, you're saying they're human beings. And then because of that, it should be implicit that they deserve human rights. But still, we sometimes are trying to figure those things out. And unfortunately, what is also part of that argument is that some people think that certain groups of people are less than human. So because of that, they might not deserve rights. And we know that dehumanization plays a big part in any time some group gets stereotyped or prejudiced against that they are somehow bad or less than, and so maybe they don't deserve all the human rights. But that was just an intro into what I wanted to talk about in this segment, which relates to that, which is when we talk about the freedoms and we talk about freedom of speech, and I I use this term in the previous segment too, but freedom of expression is also a big part of that. And uh, in in ways we talk about freedom to express our ideas, which is very, very important and a big part of uh, American democracy. But also when I talk about freedom of expression, I mean an individual level allowing people to be free to express themselves, to be who they are. And we have definitely made progress in this regard, or we have made it more flexible in how people can be who they want to be. And being a man and a woman is much more um, open to how the person wants to be, or they have to not even identify necessarily in a particular way. But we're giving people that space, although still with a lot of prejudice and... Um, negative ramifications that individuals might deal with but it's becoming more okay for people to be who they want to be and this to me is a big freedom that we should make very important and recognize how significant it is that people should be allowed to be who they want to be how they want to be of course one big part of like when we talk about freedom is that as long as you don't uh, impinge on the rights of someone else so if you're not If someone says, I want to be free, but in a way that hurts other people, that's not okay. But to be themselves, that's a big freedom that I think we should celebrate and be so happy that we have that. People have not always felt that they can be themselves to the point where people are not even allowed to recognize who they want to be. And I think that's the big harm that... We might think we even know ourselves, but a big impediment in understanding ourselves and knowing ourselves is the judgments we've already internalized about who we should be, who we shouldn't be, what it means to be a man, a woman, to be straight, gay, to be good, bad, all these types of things. Make it so that it's not so easy for us to just express ourselves because it comes with so many uh, value judgments and even before persecution and still prejudice that might Hurt us in certain ways. So, of course, how am I going to really look at who I am or who I want to be if I'm so concerned that if I dress a certain way, it won't be accepted? If I was born a male and feel more female, if I was born a female but feel more male or somewhere in between or whatever it might be, that I might get judged in certain ways. Well, of course, I won't, I don't have the freedom of expression. We can say in a theoretical way we all have that, but the way we put judgments on one another doesn't actually allow for that genuine freedom of expression to really be yourself. Uh, something I always admire with kids that is refreshing is to see them, especially when they're younger, to just be themselves. They're being silly. They're expressing things. They can role play as a whatever it has to be to have fun and enjoy what's going on in the games they're playing because they're just free they don't have this restriction that I shouldn't be this way I should be that way or whatever it is we of course in within the family and then within society start to impose some of these um, shoulds and, and should nots on them and so they start to learn I shouldn't be this way I shouldn't do that oh a boy shouldn't cry because that means I'm weak a girl shouldn't do this because that'll make the boy feel bad or whatever it might be but we start to impose these things and they don't feel as free to express themselves. So for me, this is a big cultural issue of freedom of expression, that every person should be allowed to be who they want to be. And I think it's um, laughable to think we even argue about should someone who's transgender be allowed to express that or say I'd like to be called he or she. That That's something that they absolutely should have the right to say if they say they want their name to be this or that. That's up to them and we should give them that space. So that's at the cultural, societal level. But then in the family, this to me is another one. So I want to make those connections between these freedoms on the outside world, but then also within our families. Because something I see with families is that they think they're giving their kids freedom, but they're really not. And so I work with so many families that say, my kid, I tell him or I tell her. They can be whatever they want. They can do whatever they want to do in life. I don't put any restrictions on them because they don't put any restrictions as an actual rules that if, for example, you want to have this major, I will disown you. But when you make someone feel so judged if they are a certain way or if they're not a certain way, there really isn't actual freedom. So freedom isn't always a legal thing. But we're talking about actual freedom to be comfortable to be who you are. And so a child who gets the message that they should be this way, or if they are this way, it's bad. Or if they hear you talking about some group of people in a negative way, but then they themselves maybe think they can identify that way. You're not giving them the freedom to be themselves. And so amongst the many roles you have as a parent, one of them is to allow for the freedom of expression from your child to be themselves to be who they want to be, how they want to be, what makes sense for them. Uh, doesn't mean we don't try to instill good values. And by values, I mean things like working hard, doing good things, being kind. And even that, I understand it's a it can be gray areas there as well. But as far as who they want to be and how they want to express themselves, your job as a parent isn't to make them a certain way, but to give them space to be who they want to be. I've used this analogy before that when you have a child, you um, are given a seed and you don't know exactly what that seed is going to turn into, what type of plant, but your job isn't supposed to, isn't to make it a certain way to say this should be a flower or flowers are more beautiful or trees are stronger or uh, these types of succulent plants can last in the summer longer. So they should be this, but it's allow that plant to develop into whatever it's supposed to be, to meet its potential. So we almost in in some ways have to get out of the way, create the good environment for them to then express who they want to be. And this can sound very simple, but you have to ask yourself, what are the ways I am interfering with allowing my child to be who they want to be? What messages do I send them about being this way and not being that way? And children will feel this from a very young age, that It's not okay for me to be this way. Mommy doesn't like this or daddy doesn't like that. And so they start to change or they hold it in and they feel ashamed about who they are when they don't need to be because they maybe are even different from what you expect, different from what you're used to. But who they are is who they are. And they should feel good about that and feel okay with who that is. And even as I said, that the word being proud of who they are came to my mind. And it reminds me of when we talk about, um, pride week or pride month june was pride month for the lgbtq community i think around the world but definitely here in the united states and sometimes people say well why do they have to be proud about it i'm not proud of being heterosexual and put that out there but it's that when a group has been told for so long you shouldn't be this way or you're bad for being this way or you're immoral or i uh you know i'm sad to say this as a member of a mental health community but even it was considered a mental illness till just a couple generations ago Uh, people many people are still um, still working who are probably part of uh, those task forces that said it was a mental illness then of course there is a feeling of wanting to be proud or being allowed to be proud of who you are we should all be proud of it in a genuine pride not Uh, something that's boastful or arrogant. But of course, when a group or anyone has been told to not be who they are, there's all these things wrong with it or bad about it, there is a need for them to have an experience of pride in being who they are. So it might feel to you like it's in your face, but it's also in your face now because for so many uh, millennia it was something that had to be hid, hidden, and people were persecuted and even killed and still are, unfortunately, for being a certain way. So we can understand that there is an expression and experience of pride to be allowed to be who you are. I am here, as I say I'm here, I'm queer, get used to it. I'm allowed to be here and I'm allowed to be who I am and I'm allowed to be proud of who I am. And we should embrace that. And we should all be able to be that way. And so with our children, we should give them that space. You become the best you. You become the most you you can be. And our job as parents and also as a society is to get more out of that way, to not make them feel that they have to be shaped to be what we want them to be or what we accept, but allowed to be more who they are, to express themselves. So another freedom we have, Here in the United States is that freedom of expression, which we can think about as ideas or different ways that we express ourselves. But to me especially, it's that to express our individuality, express who we are, express who we want to be, and not to have to be ashamed of that or not feel that we have to fit a certain mold to be accepted and loved, but that I'm going to be loved and accepted for being me, and I'm supposed to be the most me and the best me that I can be, not become someone else or something that others have told me to become all right we've reached our next commercial break studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 you're listening to in session with dr Fatty Deloqui we'll be right back welcome back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 let's go to a caller radio Hamra you're on the air hi uh, dr parade uh
0: I have a couple of questions, Uh, if you can expand on them. I appreciate that. Um, Do insecurities and uh, lack of self-esteem go hand in hand, or they can exist uh, um, separate from each other?
1: So, I mean, I guess we can even try to define those terms a bit. Insecurity is usually, we're talking about, not feeling confident or good about some aspect of ourselves. It can feel more global, but a lot, of, a lot of times we'll talk about someone being insecure about their height or weight or how much money they have, or even a part of their body or something. Um, and definitely it's connected to, to self-esteem. Yeah. Even what unfortunately is a way that it can be connected is this feeling that, so self-esteem is this feeling of just being valued or having worth uh, as a person or human being just for being you. Um, but oftentimes, people who are dealing with insecurities, and I should mention, we all feel insecure at some times. So if we go through something or we get nervous about something or we get some kind of rejection, we might feel insecure. But based on our self esteem, it might be um, that might indicate how much we get affected by what happens. But people with self esteem that feels very tied into their performance or looking good. Uh, Or whatever those things might be based on that, they are more likely to have issues with insecurity because they can find some reason that they're not perfect or not okay. And so they're going to feel bad. And also um, what we also experience sometimes is if we don't feel good about ourselves deep down, there's some lack of self-esteem or something is missing there, we'll find something on the surface that we can attribute to that. So, for example, someone might feel insecure about their nose, and they think, oh, my nose makes me so ugly, and everywhere I go, people notice my nose. And another thing about insecurities is basically, by definition, we see the problem as bigger than is reality. So to us, we walk into the room, and everyone is just looking at our nose and thinking about it and talking about it when that's not the case. That's what's going on in our own head, and we're projecting projecting that onto them. But even sometimes that individual will, let's say, um, get a nose job and fix their nose with plastic surgery and it looks fine, and they think now they're going to feel okay, but really because it wasn't about their nose to begin with, it was more something deep down, they felt unlovable or defective or not okay, even if that surface issue gets resolved, they still don't feel good about themselves. So sometimes insecurities also mask or they become the focus of, Of some deeper underlying issue or feeling of unlovability defectiveness or not being okay Uh, and we make it all about that well if my nose is okay this or if I was taller I would you know be happy about myself but it's because of my height that I don't feel good or whatever else becomes our insecurity we think it's about that thing but most of the time, that's not the real issue. Just like a lot of people feel like, well, right now I don't feel good about myself, but if I made a lot of money, I'd be so happy and confident and have self-esteem. And then they get money and they're doing, let's say they're successful in their career. And it does help in some ways, but they don't necessarily have that feeling of self-esteem, of feeling good about themselves or of feeling lovable. And this is why we don't necessarily see less things like drug addiction um, in more wealthy people or successful people. It doesn't necessarily make you feel okay about yourself and feel good. Um, so those are some thoughts, but I I don't know what else you had in mind when you're talking about that connection between insecurity and self-esteem.
0: Um, well, um, my observation of some people I know that they really care about themselves. I, I see them, uh, liking themselves most of the time, but sometimes they, um, express, um, uh, things ideas, or respond to certain situations in ways that um is strikingly um disproportionate mm-hmm. to uh to what has been said or has been done and i I was wondering if uh what I see as self esteem uh, is a false observation? I, do I have enough tools to va- evaluate um, somebody else's self esteem, mm-hmm. expression of self esteem? And how does that disproportionate behavior is related to lack of it or, in some ways, lack of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, these things are obviously very complex issues. So it's not straightforward to say insecurity means lack of self esteem. Uh, having self-esteem means no insecurities because really none of us has anything like perfect self-esteem or we don't have you know that kind of issue uh, that we can say anyone has perfect self-esteem. And everyone has some insecurity somewhere, meaning that, as I was saying, and you're even using that word, disproportional, their sensitivity to something about themselves or something is more than appears to be the reality. So you might be surprised to see someone that seems very confident and happy in a lot of ways and someone will make one comment about something about them and they seem to fall apart or they seem to really doubt themselves or get very offended by it more than you would expect based on what you you see. So we have to accept that every one of us has some insecurities about something or some things. It's we don't really have anyone who has none, we could say. So we have to be aware of that and have that compassion towards ourselves, of course, if we see them and recognize them within ourselves, but also towards others. To not think that uh, they're not going to have any, just because they haven't shown them to us, it doesn't mean mm-hmm. likely they don't have them. Um, they probably do. So, uh, and and to me, that question of well, does that mean I was, your assessment of their self-esteem was right or wrong? These things are hard to determine and and judge, and really, it's not so important for us to know it. I mean, we want to understand ourselves and understand our loved ones. So we pay attention to them and try to to have more knowledge of them. Um, but to me, it reminds me of how we don't know what someone is really going through. And as much as we might think someone is okay and happy, uh, it's not that we should be paranoid or doubt what they're telling us, but be aware that people are going through a lot more within themselves than we realize. And as much as we might think someone seems so confident or okay, so they're never doubting themselves, that's probably not the case. Anyone you're seeing um, is going to have some issues. It's kind of like anyone you see from far away, you might think and be, let's say, perfectly secure and have no issues. But if you get close up to anything, you're going to see the cracks, sure. just like if you see a painting from far away, it looks perfectly smooth, let's say. And then if you come close, you might see some cracks in it or different things that are there. So once we get closer and deeper, we'll see more. Um, but as I was even mentioning it related in the last segment, we have to be given that space to show that to one another, because most of the time we think we should hide those things or not let anyone see those cracks. But we all have them. And so if your friend does respond in a way and you get surprised, um, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to throw everything away that, okay, I thought they were had good self-esteem, but now they must have no self-esteem. Things like self-esteem can be very complicated or even confidence can be complicated where someone feels very good about many aspects of themselves, but doesn't feel so good about one. And then potentially related to what happened to them. Let's say they were compared to someone in the, about their looks, or they got too much attention about their looks, so now they're so worried about something being wrong with it, or a variety of things, and now that becomes their insecurity, or that becomes a, a point of sensitivity. We we are just understanding them more, so. Um, It can be surprising when we see a side of someone we've never seen. They might show us a vulnerability we did not expect or anticipate. But to me, a a big message in what we're talking about is remembering that everyone has some at least fragile spots or sensitive spots. Not to say that we're just fragile and can fall apart, but everyone has some things we're dealing with. And uh, most of the time we don't show it to one another, but it's definitely there.
2: Well, to me,
0: um, if may I uh, say yes, this, um, to me, self-esteem is that um, feeling of self-worth without knowing that it is a feeling of self-worth, meaning that you feel good about yourself. You, are, uh, you appreciate who you are at any moment, any time of the day. Well, sadness is a different story doubting certain things that you can or cannot do um could be different stories about um uh, you know depending on the circumstances but feeling of self worth um or self esteem i should say mm-hmm. is is never i, I feel um i i could be completely wrong, but this is how I get it when I listen and read that this is so instilled in you in very early childhood that um, uh, you never feel mm-hmm. um, that you don't have self-esteem. You're not worth anything, even in the most difficult circumstances. In even in situations where people insult you, uh, it doesn't shake you because you know who you are uh, and how um, how much. You know, you love yourself, and uh, you're loved, and, and uh, it is it's independent of how people interact with you.
2: Mm-hmm. This
0: is my page, the solid page that I have from what I read, and of course I think maturity and experience would solidify the feelings that are instilled in you as a child, but uh, altogether I guess it brings such awareness to you as a self, as a human, as an individual, that um, uh, you don't get shaken by people or circumstances, Mm -hmm. situations, lack of success in whatever you're trying to do. So I think it stays with you, and you shake it off, and you get up and... uh, do something yeah. else. And I think the am part I, you said... You, am I making sense? No, absolutely. Get...
1: No, no, it makes sense. And I think the last time you said it, I liked it even better because you said you shake it off because the first couple of times you're saying, if let's say we get insulted, it doesn't shake us. And I think it, it might shake us. And to me, it's about how much it does. You know, we like exactly. to hear nice things. We don't like to hear... Negative things about us, but it's how much it's affecting us. Both how much the positive makes us feel so good, and maybe even makes us feel high. That's actually not necessarily a good thing. And then how low the negatives, um, you know, make us feel. But I do like what you were saying about the. Um, it's an inherent feeling of self worth, and that's why I think it's so important for parents. I was alluding to this of not making it so it's because of your performance or because you're beautiful or because of these, anything that we love you, we love you because you're you, you're our child. So, uh, you know, when a baby is born, people don't think, well, I'm going to love this baby if she's really cute or if she's smart or if she does really well in school. We say, no, I love my baby. We just love them because they're a baby that deserves love. And that's the feeling we want to give the child, that not, well, as long as you're a good student or as long as you're really beautiful or as long as you're really smart, we're going to love you. It's that we love you for being you. And so this is where parents have to be so aware of what messages they're giving their child about who they are, why they are loved, why what we feel about that kid. So they feel that being loved is something that they're just worthy of. And it doesn't mean that no matter what you do, it's okay. Or if you're mean to people or you do bad things, that's the same as if you did good things. But it's being aware that who they are is not... Contingent on if you love them or not. So it's like, what well, it's basically like you're saying is, hey, you're my kid. I love you. Let's s- discover who you are. So it's not, I'm gonna love you if what I see I like or I don't like. It's that you're my child. I love you, and let's see. And and we would hopefully internalize that and then have that with ourselves. I love me. Let me see. What, oh, you know, I'm good at this. I'm not so good at this. Okay, I do this sometimes. I'm sensitive about that. And we can still love ourselves with all of that. But it's that we already come from the space of having that self-love and then trying to understand ourselves even more and see who's there. And so, you know, that way I thought of it right now thinking of a baby is that it makes a lot of sense that we see the baby and we just love our baby. We don't think about let's see if this kid proves they're worthy of my love or not. They're already deserving of that. And that inner sense of being loved and lovable to me is part of the core and essence of self-esteem. That that that's
0: actually uh, the point that I wanted to uh, um, make sure that I um, I, uh, I hear from you uh, as an expert who has more depth uh, and understanding of human behavior. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I'm, Fareed, uh, thank you for those the I,
1: thoughtful questions. Yes.
0: Can I, can I uh, bring up another point that might be in some ways related to this?
1: Okay. Go ahead.
0: Okay. I see parents uh, putting a lot of effort and emphasis on how many different activities their mm-hmm. children um, are, you know, um, are supposed to be involved, how many um, times of the day they're supposed to be in this class and that class. And I do see all these parents uh, are well aware of love and care that they are supposed to give to their children unconditional love and care. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, we human beings are so complex in the way that we um, we interpret, uh, even as a child, especially as a child who has no experiences, doesn't have any tools to to basically reason why am I in so many classes uh, and 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 they love it. They get involved. They get to like the feedback. And some of those kids basically roll on those feedbacks. How wonderful you're doing! And and uh, we took so and so to this class. She did so and so. Or and then go on about everything that they have done throughout the day. At the end of the day, with with the father, or if the father is taking care of the kids, with the mother. So all that. Um, being said to the kid, do you think that the child uh, is capable of getting the right message that it is not all about my performances, mm-hmm. it's all about the love that my parents are giving me right now? Or, yeah.
1: There's a few different issues I, you're I don't bringing up. Go on. I, just, no.
0: I, I I know that you understand what I'm yeah, yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah. So there's it. a
1: few different issues that you're bringing up um One is, I think, something unfortunate that's happening is there is this competitiveness within parents and how they show themselves that I have my kid involved in this many things and, you know, these many classes. And and unfortunately, it's being reinforced by the way high schools and colleges are expecting people to have a certain number of extracurriculars and become these robots that are just good candidates for what they're expecting for college applications rather than Developing good people or people who are happy and well-rounded in actual senses, not just what looks good on paper. So I think that's very unfortunate. Or the competitiveness parents even feel. Well, okay, I want my kid to start learning words at six months, or you know, three months, or just this hyper competitiveness that we have to instill in kids or force them to learn. Or grow in certain ways and if we're not doing it I also don't just blame the parents because I think they might feel this guilt of well am I not doing everything I can for my kid if other parents are doing this and I'm not if other parents are spending this money and I'm not am I neglecting my child in some way that's going to hurt him or her um, or also make my child not as competitive with them at some point so I don't want to just blame parents as they're just being bad it's uh, the pressures that are being put on them from society and the ways we're reinforcing these things with each other. Um, but I think, is it good for kids to go to classes? That can be great. Yeah, music is wonderful. Sports is great. Other types of art activities, other things, whatever they're interested in, we want to help instill that passion in them by giving them exposure to different things. And especially once they're interested in something, uh, put in the resources to let them grow that passion. and And that's wonderful. But it's always comes back to the intention is our intention to to actually do that instill this passion and allow them to grow or is that we feel like we have to fill their time um to be you know keeping up with the joneses or to make our child look good to other people or is my intention really for my child to learn violin or am I thinking about the dinner party where I'm going to invite everyone and have my child play violin and they're all going to say, wow, your child is so amazing and incredible and how how good they are. What's my intention? Is it really for how it looks to others or really the benefit of my child? So there's a lot of questions there that I think we have to be aware that sometimes less is more. I'm not saying classes are bad. They can be good. But sometimes, uh, as you were in a way describing, these kids can be in class after class, back to back, and they don't even have time to breathe or really get what they can get from the different classes if they're given some space to actually experience things and also just have some downtime in between. So we have to think about that. And another thing you brought up in a way was talking about performance. And this is where we have to be mindful of things like the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. So in the fixed mindset, it's about things like you're a genius, you're brilliant, you're so smart. It's because of these characteristics that you have or because of how great you just are inherently that makes you so good at things and that can be very harmful as opposed to the growth mindset which means we're saying we're encouraging effort and hard work oh, you've gotten so good at playing that song because you've practiced so much, not you're so good at that song because you're a virtuoso genius and brilliant and you just are just natural. That actually, as much as they sound like nice things, who doesn't want to be called a genius or brilliant? But we have to be aware of the effect it has on children as far as thinking that uh, they're going to be good at things just because of how good they are, not because of the hard work that they're going to put in. And really, talent is overrated, we think, that it's all about talent. But I mean, we can think of talent as what happens when we work hard, but just that inherent, natural talent doesn't take us very far. And without hard work, you won't get anywhere. And without embracing challenges, you won't get very far. And unfortunately, when we teach them the fixed mindset that you're just good or brilliant because you are that way, it makes them more afraid of challenges and failure. So I think that has to also be something that parents are very aware of, that even though some words can sound very positive, like saying, you're so smart, you're genius, you're this, you're that, they can actually have a negative effect in the long term and also being aware that our kids don't get the message that we love them because they're performing so well. Um, of course, we'll be proud of them, and we'll appreciate and see what they're doing, so we're not going to ignore that, but making sure they don't unfortunately get the message that I love you because you're good at piano or I love you because you're beautiful. It's like I love you anyway and now I, this is great what you're doing and I see what you're doing. Uh, So I think parents can have, unfortunately, it's tough always to be a parent. But in today's day and age, there's new challenges of how to navigate this new world of extracurriculars and different activities that parents feel the pressure to put their kids in. That if they're not in them from a young age, they won't get into a good college. And the other parents are going to look at them a certain way and whatever else there might be. And being aware of what's actually good for their child and their intentions and everything they're doing. But thank you for those calls. I do have to go to a commercial break, but I appreciate you
0: calling in. And thank you for um, the last uh, few points that you um, actually expanded on. I appreciate that very you. much. You well, my pleasure. Nice it. talking.
1: Thank have you. a great day.
0: Thank you.
1: Oh, Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, going to another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Back. So in the first two segments, I was talking about freedoms because of 4th of July being here tomorrow in the United States, which is Independence Day for the United States. And we celebrate our freedoms. And because of the last caller, I wanted to now talk about a different type of Independence Day or independence, which is our own independence. So I was talking about freedom to express. And as a society, we should give each other that space. But there's also this Independence Day of ourselves, of expressing who we are and accepting who that is and allowing for ourselves to be us. And, of course, it becomes a lot easier if we are given the safety and comfort and security in society to be who we are. And then within our own family, of course, as well, we would hope that they give us that comfort, security, that feeling that we'll be loved no matter who we are, that we can be ourselves. But we might not always get that. So the responsibility will come to ourselves at some level to express who we are. If I want to be me, I'm going to have to be willing to pay the price or the cost that might come with it to be me. And it might not be fair and it might not be okay, but still that is on me. And I don't want to say that means it's easy to express yourself or that it's always going to be the right thing because, yes, if you live somewhere where being who you are means you might be killed i can understand you might not be right to do that so i'm of course saying that in extreme cases it might not be okay to even express who you are unfortunately but i mean in the more general sense that we as individuals have a lot within us that we don't express and it's up to us to express that and first that means it's up to us to know what that is so when we talk about self-love Um, And we talk about just loving anything, really to love something, we have to know that thing more. And when it comes even to ourselves, that's the case. And that means that we have to be willing to look into ourselves to see who 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 am I, I, who I want to be, what is it that I see within myself, which means I have to be willing to take that journey. And before that, we have to be willing to be okay with what we see. And that's a very, very hard part. Because of things I've talked about already today, what we've heard from society and what we've heard from our family about what's good and not good, what's okay and not okay, what we should be ashamed of if we are or if we live a certain way um, or what we might even get treated differently because of, it can affect, of course, the way we look within ourselves to see who is there, to actually look in a real mirror with clarity and see who am I. And to accept what's there, we have to have that first, that I'm okay with whatever I see. Maybe I won't like some of what I see. Maybe I would prefer for it to be differently. But there has to be that acceptance. And this is uh, where I really like uh, one of the philosophies of Buddhism or philosophies of meditation in general of non-judgmental awareness that you just notice without judgment. That you become aware of something without judging that it should be this way or shouldn't be that way or it's good or bad. Because if we really look at ourselves, there might be some things we might not like so much. I, I know I'm saying non-judgmental, but I we have to understand that we're not going to be perfect in the sense that we'll have a reaction to it. So you look within yourself and you say, oh, I have an insecurity about this thing. I really wish I didn't. Or, you know, I'm realizing I'm envious about this person or these people. And we don't want to be we're like, oh, I wish I didn't have envy for that person because that makes me maybe in that moment feel weak or feel like we're giving that person power or whatever it might be. But really, when we take a look at ourselves, we might not like everything we see. And actually, uh, relating that to meditation in general, some people have this misconception that if I meditate, what it means is I'm always going to have this feeling of zen, or I'm always going to feel good, or I'm always going to uh, be at peace. And yes, you might move more towards those things in general, but when we actually stop and notice what we're thinking, we're feeling, it's not always going to be good things. When you actually sit and meditate and let yourself feel what you're feeling you might realize you know what i'm really angry at this person and i wasn't really aware of it till i slowed down and noticed what was there or i'm actually pretty sad about this thing that happened and maybe i wasn't letting myself feel the sadness or i was pushing it away so even when we meditate and we just sit with our feelings in the moment we'll see that it doesn't always mean pleasant things are coming to our awareness and actually the reason why we spend so much time and effort in a way to not be in the moment is because we don't feel comfortable sitting with the feelings that are there. We're trying to avoid them. And so we one great way to avoid our feelings is to never let ourselves feel them or to try to not let that happen. And so we're avoiding it because they're unpleasant. So we have to be ready that if we're really going to try to understand who we are and get in touch with who we are and experience who we are it's not all just going to be positive things and we shouldn't have that misconception that when you go within it's just a journey of pure light and happiness always You might experience some things you don't like, um, both in what you feel. You might go into what you're feeling now and also into memories. But then you also uh, might see things within yourself that maybe you won't always like. And so that mindset I was sharing in the previous segment with the caller of how when we look at a baby, we just say, I love you. We don't think about, okay, let's see how cute the baby is, and if the baby is this way or that way, or if they um, act this way or act that way. We just love that child. We should have that love for ourselves as well, a genuine self-love. And self-love can get a bad rep sometimes because we think of it as somehow being about ego or pride or this negative thing about if we love ourselves too much then we won't be able to care about other people or we get too consumed by the self. But I'm talking about a genuine self-love where um, I care about myself just like I also can have love for all human beings. So essentially it comes from this core that I love all people and because of that I also love myself because I'm a person too. So I extend that love inward to me as well just like I will love everyone else but my responsibility is to take care of me and so I will take care of myself first and then take care of others as well but I have to make sure I'm okay and there's that cheesy cliche of when you're on an airplane and if the oxygen masks drop even if you have a young child they say first take care of yourself so that you can take care of your child too or anyone else um, because you have to make sure you're okay and our responsibility is to us so we always have to take care of ourselves first having genuine self-love is not something bad it's actually something quite beautiful and wonderful and something we should try to cultivate the more loving we are to ourselves actually the more we can genuinely love others as well if you don't like yourself very much it's going to be hard for you to really genuinely love people for a long period of time or to really get close to them so we should think of self-love as a positive thing not something bad sometimes we think oh you know Look at the narcissists, and I talked about that on Monday's show, Narcissism, um, in the book Disarming the Narcissist. We think they love themselves too much or they're so full of themselves, and they just they, that's the term they use, they love themselves too much. And actually what we find is that people who are selfish and people who are narcissistic don't really love themselves at the core. It's a compensation for not feeling good about themselves. They don't actually love themselves in a genuine way. This is a false love, a false pride. We're talking about genuine self-love. So if we want to express our independence, we have to start from a place of trying to love ourselves just for being whoever we are and then discovering what that is more. We already know a little bit, but we have to go a little bit more in depth to really get in touch with, what would I do if I could do anything? What would I feel if I actually was allowed to feel what I was feeling? Or what would I say to the people around me if I was allowed to say anything? And this doesn't mean that we act without consideration for others at all. So if you realize, oh, you know what? I would just want to punch that guy in the face if I could do anything. You might realize, okay, that might not be the best reaction, both in how I'm treating them and also consequences to me. But I might make me realize I'm actually angry at that person. Now let me try to understand that anger better. Why am I angry at them so much? And then you might realize it's because of things they've done to you and it makes sense. Or you might realize, you know what? It seems a little bit exaggerated based on what they've done. Where else in my past might this anger be connected or where where might I be bringing that anger from my past onto this situation? But we have to be willing to look at who we are and what we are. And so we're talking about the different freedoms we have and freedom of speech and expression and all of that. But a big one really that is more of an individual one that, of course, society can largely affect, but it's up to us in some ways at the end, is the freedom or the independence to be ourselves, to be who we are and who we want to be without fear of what that will be or how that will be uh, responded to by other people. And as I mentioned, if you're going to be yourself, it doesn't mean everyone's going to like it. Just like if you're going to communicate assertively, which is a part of being, having that independence to express yourself, that you actually share what's on your mind and what you're feeling. Not everyone's always going to like what you have to say or what you feel, or you might have to be willing to deal with conflict, but we're talking about being a more genuine person and having a more authentic relationship with yourself and how you live your life which ultimately will lead to more fulfillment and feeling better in the long run you might have to deal with some more discomfort and conflict along the way but being more authentic is what's going to make you feel good long term but that means you have to know who that is and then express that and have that independence of self to express who you are all right we've reached our next commercial break studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 we'll be right back welcome back let's go to another caller radio hamro you're on the air
2: hello
1: yes hi thanks for calling Uh,
2: yes doctor how are you thank you so much for your uh program uh Um, I just want to know, just uh, I don't want to go through details uh, of my life, but uh, I want to know how I can communicate um, in a way like a friend uh, will communicate with my son or my daughter. I will always, um, let's say, like uh, take care... uh, uh, you know, I was always taking care of my kids, mm-hmm. like, at uh, uh, you know, nursing and uh, nourish them and all these things. But I, I guess because I never had a mother or father that had a figure in my life, uh, I don't know how to become their mother instead of... Like, when they tell me about their problems, mm-hmm. I want to just right away solve the problems yeah. without, you know, like friends. You know how friends like to all, oh, you know, have empathy or sympathy or whatever... Um, I just want to tell you that my husband um was never like a he never had a role in their life. he was just a very good provider, but he was not in their lives. he was always going back and forth to Iran for twelve thirteen years mm. and I was always there with my kids uh, and uh, took care of them uh you know in best way i could do and now I think when I talk to them uh um, they always complain that you're not our friend. We cannot talk to you. You mm. do uh, all these things for us, but uh, you know when, uh, like my son now. We, I got divorced with, uh, and now uh, I, you know, I live with my kids. And my son is 24. My daughter is 26. She's out of country, but my son comes and goes. Um, uh, but uh, he always told me like. All you want to do is watch TV. You don't know who I am, and uh, so I really don't know yeah. what uh, what the conversation should be. What I need to ask him, what he wants me. I know he wants me to be his friend, and um, but I don't know how. Yeah. I just immediately want to saw You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, you I mean, and that's what a lot of parents do, or people generally said, friends, even friends sometimes will jump in, or husbands and wives. This will come up too um so to begin with you know this concept or idea people have of as a parent you should be their friend which i think makes sense but recognizing that you're not going to be actually their friend you could be like a friend but it's going to be different you still are are their mother so we shouldn't expect it to be actual how you know they are with friends because i sometimes work with families i think well Now my kid's a teenager and they don't tell me everything. You know, I should be like a friend to them and they tell me everything. I was like, no, not necessarily everything. There's things they'd rather talk to with their friends about than with you and they might feel more comfortable about. But, um, you know, so we have to have that expectation or not put that kind of an expectation that's going to be exactly like a friend. But it does seem in your case, you recognize it yourself too. And they're telling you that you try to come in and solve the situation rather than just talking to them. And... This comes back to the um, feeling that parents can have that my job is to remove pain or to fix everything for my kids when that's not what your role is. Yes, at times you're going to do things for them, or a lot of times you have already done and you'll continue to do less as they get older. But really, even more, if you want to be their friend, you have to respond as a friend, which means you have to be able to tolerate their discomfort or pain or them being in a certain situation. But it seems like you're having a hard time tolerating if your son comes to you and he's sad about something. You want to take away that sadness so you quickly want to fix the problem. And then on top of that, with what you went through with their father and then even the divorce, you might have some guilt on top of that of what your kids are going through. So you don't want them to have negative feelings. So you're going to resist that and have even less tolerance for them to be like, you know, I'm just having a bad day. And you can just say, oh, really having a bad day? What's going on? Not, okay, let's do this. Let's do that. What can we do? Do you want to talk to someone? You know, that's what some parents do. And then, of course, we can understand that the child, child, adult, child, adult, adult, whatever it might be, isn't going to have that comfort that, you know what, I can just talk to you uh, without anything happening. I'll work with teenagers sometimes. I'll say, you know, something was going on at school But I knew that if I come and tell my mom, she's going to come to the school and create a whole scene and make a big deal and talk to this parent and that. And I didn't want to deal with all that. So I never told her and the kids dealing with it on their own. So sometimes we might think I'm being such a good parent because I'm helping them so much. But there could be two issues with that. One is we're not allowing them sometimes the space to experience things on their own, to work through their own problems, to face consequences, whatever that might be. And on the other hand, we might create so much pressure on them that when they bring something up, it becomes such a big deal that they'd rather not tell us. So be aware that if you want to be his friend, the first thing you're going to have to do is tolerate those feelings that you don't like very much or tolerate or remind yourself that my job isn't to fix his problems, especially because he's 24, but even still, even when there are kids, giving them more space, and it's going to take a shift in that dynamic. That you're not the fixer, you are a listener. You are someone who's just there. Okay.
2: Does, does that make sense? Doctor, yeah, it, it definitely yeah. does. And uh, I'm trying to work on that uh, because I listen to your father. I have all CDs, and I used to go to all these classes and therapy and everything, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I really did my best to uh, uh, accommodate all the uh, things that you said. But I did sometimes he wants me to uh, get to know him. Uh-huh. You know, he uh, he wants me to ask questions. Like, I don't know what kind of questions I'm supposed to ask him. Uh-huh. Uh, he always tells me, you don't know who I am. You don't know, uh, you know, and I'm like, okay, um I'm not going to ask him who you are. It's just, I don't know what to ask him to get me into getting to know him. You know what
1: I'm saying? Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I mean, I, I'll definitely ask you more about what you think it is, and, and you have to ask him more. That's actually the big thing is you might have to ask him more. Well, what do you mean? Or I'm not sure if I get what you're talking about. But another aspect of the type of parenting I was talking about that you might be doing or feel that your role is, is it just feels like you're fixing problems. So it's not about actually understanding the person. It's kind of like you're a firefighter. It's like, is there a fire on the home? Let's put water on. If there isn't, they don't go look at the homes and get to know them. If there's a fire, they respond to that, put out the fire and they leave. But your kid doesn't want you to be a firefighter. He wants to talk about just when things are good or maybe yeah. things he's interested in or, oh, you know, I like this movie. What do you like about this movie? Or he watches this TV show. Maybe you can watch with him or you can even ask him. Now, again, not in an intrusive way. He might say, no, I don't want to talk about it. So we don't have think we have to ask. But when we have that mindset that my job is just to fix problems, we sometimes forget that really to know someone means we also want to know the good or just what's going on or other things and so take away that fireman hat from yourself or that firefighter hat that you have to just fix things and just want to know what's he interested in or what does he like and it seems like it's a little foreign for you so it's going to be uh take some adjusting and it's not going to be smooth sailing but you can take steps in that direction and as i mentioned before you're gonna to have to ask him you know you say i get what you're saying in a way but i might need some help too it it's kind of foreign territory uh-huh. for me Um, What are the things? But he's feeling something that you don't want to know about him unless it's a problem or maybe unless it's something really good. But he's just not feeling totally understood by you. You were probably spread very thin with two kids and their dad not being around. So maybe you really felt like life was just about putting out fires and facing crisis and surviving. Um, But he wants you to, to be his mom when things are calm and that you guys can actually just get to know each other. And I think that's new for you. And I think the good thing is he exactly. wants that. He hasn't given up. You know, sometimes a, a kid yeah. of his age might just say, oh, forget it. My mom's always going to be like this and I don't want to talk to her. But he's telling you, I want this. And that's the good yeah. news. There is hope that he has and that that might also make it that he's more likely to work with you to make things better. So in this case, he's he's going to be the expert about this compared to you and him of what he wants. And so you have to explore that with him.
2: Well, Doctor, uh, I think that's a, uh, good news also. But let's say, like, I do everything with him. You know, I uh, go to movies, or mm-hmm. I think one of the problems is he doesn't have girlfriend, but he has very good friends. Uh, but uh, we watch TV together, movies and mm-hmm. stuff like that. We do things together. Great. But But uh, the thing is, when, like, let's say, for instance, like, we go to dinner, uh, I don't know what subject I need to bring up. I don't know what to ask him to not just have, like, just dinner and go home, and, you know, everything is okay, yeah, everything is good. So I don't know what yeah. I'm supposed to say after that. I don't know sure. if I say something that I'm going to make him angry, and then he's going to say, oh, see, uh, you can't even talk to me, you know. It's, so also, I'm kind of lost in that circle, so my mind circles around to find a subject, And I can't, I just get quiet and uh, then he gets mad and we come home and, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, it's like, I don't know what kind of,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, I get that even what you're saying, you feel a lot of pressure um, in a way and I don't want you, it shouldn't feel so pressured. And as I said, because it might be new territory for you and for you and him, it might be a little bit uneasy or uncomfortable that we can understand, but I don't want you to feel this pressure or to think, There is a certain list of uh, topics that you have to know about and you have to prepare them beforehand and go to dinner. It it shouldn't be that difficult. It's not supposed to be that challenging. It should hopefully be a free-flowing conversation. um, But he might not feel comfortable opening up to you. So that's another element to look at. When he says, you don't know me, it could be that he feels that he has to hide things from you maybe significant, but even insignificant, about himself because of how you might respond. So that's another element of this. How do you feel like you respond if he tells you something about himself? Do you feel that you can handle him sharing something that you don't like?
2: Oh, doctor, a lot of things that he has done through his, uh, as I said, his father was never around. Mm -hmm. So I was like... uh, You know, he was chased by police, so I covered for him. It was an accident. I covered for him. There are a lot of things that he has done, and he came to me because, uh, no, 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 he uh, feels very comfortable with me telling me stuff, and I really handled it really good without getting upset. I just, as you said, was a firefighter, you know, put Mm -hmm. the water on top of the fire. So he knows that if uh, there is a problem, I can be, but he as I said, I think he wants more uh, like a friend and than a mother, like yeah. a caretaker, you know. And uh, I think that part I'm lacking a lot. And I know I'm a wonderful caretaker and uh, maybe the best, really, but uh, for them, actually. But uh, being the mother that can give them good advices or uh, listen to them, I think I'm really lacking Uh, I even bought like books to help me the stories about the relationship with the mother and daughter or son and daughter or whatever but uh, in the real life when I'm talking to him I just get lost I get you know um, I don't know I just cannot find a subject I cannot uh, no no he can tell me anything Mm -hmm. he wants
1: okay Uh, now There's something in you know you said I'm the best and I or you know and I don't want to make that too big of a deal but there might be a certain perfectionism you put on yourself and unrealistic expectation or the way you see yourself might be unrealistic and so you might bring that into these conversations which is even what I was saying there it seems like you put so much pressure on it like what's the right conversation to have now. I don't know. I'm not sure what he wants to talk about. And there isn't some book about it. And it's not something you have to intellectually figure out. In a way, you have to more experience it with him. So I think you might put too much pressure on yourself or have an expectation that you have to be this perfect mom or that I shouldn't make him upset. And the thing I bring up, you maybe will. You have to take some, uh, you know, we can call them risks. They're not like huge risks, but you might not be sure and you could talk about it and you can even talk to him that I don't know what to talk about. And even maybe it's, isn't it kind of funny? Like we don't know what to talk about. Sometimes, or I'm not even sure what topic to bring up and have a conversation with him about that. So it, in a way diffuse the situation. So it doesn't have to be so in like so tense. The way you talk about it is like, we're sitting there and I don't know what to say. So I don't say anything. And then it's quiet. And then we sit some more and then we come home and we're both annoyed or angry that we didn't talk about anything. So you have to open up that communication. And it seems like you maybe like things to be perfect in a certain way, but relationships are messy, meaning that you're going to have conversations with him, And he might say, you know, what, mom, I can't believe you brought that up. That really hurt me. And you have to be able to tolerate that. That's okay. Let me understand that better it's not going to be very clear that you did the right thing or an expert can tell you this was the right move or the wrong move. You shouldn't have ever brought that conversation up. But it's about you and him. And so he expresses to you, you know, Mom, I don't, I don't want to talk about blah, 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 blah. Or I don't want to do this, yeah. you know, whatever it is. But you have to get into that messiness with him and be willing well, to I do have, that. I have.
2: Yeah, a couple of times he told me, like, you know, I don't want to talk about this, or I don't feel like talking about this, and I respected it, and I, uh, you know, stopped. And uh, I'm, I'm trying, but I think because uh, he would never had a father figure, I tried to be father and mother to him, and um, that's probably where the perfectionism comes yeah. from.
1: Yeah, like, that's what I mean. I feel like, you know, in, in talking to you, I feel like you're maybe trying to do too much, and then even you're trying to yeah. know what more should you do. And in some ways yeah. you might need to do less as in some ways, like pull back a little bit. And I think there's a almost like a high strung feeling you have in the way you're communicating where you might be putting too much pressure on everything that's going on. That's how I feel when you're even talking about it. And this goes back to that tolerance of uncomfortable feelings that... Okay, and you said he's gotten upset before, and I'm sure you've handled at least to some level okay. But sometimes he's not going to feel okay with what's going on, or it's not going to be a great conversation. But if you put too much pressure on it, it's going to be harder for you to even initiate with him. And he might be dealing with a lot. Maybe he's depressed, or maybe he has a lot of anger. He might have a lot of anger towards his father, but he can't directly express that to him as much, so he expresses that to you. There's a lot of things that could be going on. Um, You have to just keep trying with him. There's no clear cut. I can tell you if you start talking to him about sports, he's going to get happier about this. He's going to get happy. You have to try to initiate with him. I would even talk to him about, you know what? You've mentioned that. And you're right. Maybe I did the things you said. And I understand to you from you, what do you think it is? You know, have a conversation with him even about what he brought up. And remember, he's the expert here and you're not supposed to already know exactly what he wants you're going to talk to him about it Um, but like I said I'm very happy and I see a lot of hope in him saying that to you because that shows that he wants to work towards that he wants something he sees that hope but you know he might be the one that guides you more than anyone else in this process and you have to give him that space to guide you and be okay you know it's interesting going back to not being the mother and the caretaker in this way understanding that he's going to be more the one who knows. He might actually help make the relationship better more than you will, but you'll have to follow his lead to some degree, if that makes sense. So it's letting go of that. I have to be the caretaker or the one that's making the right change. You're going to follow him a little bit more in this because he has to be the one that tells you what he's okay with and not okay with. Okay. Hmm. So
2: it's okay for me to ask him, like, uh, uh, you still, like, bring up the subject, or, uh, I really don't know what to <laughs> say, uh, you know, like, Well, I want, but it might be good for that. you to
1: say, like, say what you want to say to him, so I, I want to hear what you're thinking of saying to him.
2: Well, well, I know, I know he told me, like, last conversation, he was really emotional, he told me, Mom, I don't want to treat you like I'm treating Dad, like it's, on the surface, you know, mm-hmm. I just want to uh, finish the conversation and just leave. I want to talk to you. I want you to get to know me and uh, uh, but it seems like you're not you don't have any interest.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: I kept telling him, I do have interest, but I don't know what to tell you. I really so, don't know right, right. so and I, when I,
1: yeah, but you know and I get that response, but rather than defending yourself, and I know he maybe made you feel like you needed to, try to understand him more. You can even say, you know, did, yeah. so that's so surprising because I feel so interested. I love you so much. I care about you so much. But if you're saying you don't feel like I'm interested, I'm wondering what makes you feel that way. What have I done that makes you feel that? Because I want to get uh, that.
2: Yeah, I, I told him, he said like, you know, um, uh, you know he always compares himself with uh, my daughter. Oh, you will do this. But even though we... Paid more attention to him because he always had an anger issue, and uh, but he always thinks we paid more attention to her.
1: Well, but he might be saying uh, not paid more attention. Yeah, maybe you gave him more attention, but it was in a negative way, and he didn't feel like he was appreciated as much, or she got more of the positive attention. So maybe, yeah, you have to deal with him more, but dealing with him more doesn't necessarily make him feel good. You, You didn't neglect him, that's good, but if he's constantly getting negative attention for not doing the good things or being too angry or whatever. Um, that's not going to feel very good. Or maybe he doesn't feel like you it, going back to the fires. You were just putting out what happened with his anger, but not trying to understand his anger. Why is he so upset? Why is he so hurt? Or I can understand that you're but, hurt. One
2: of one of the thing that he mentioned that, uh, I, uh, you know, it kind of, uh, blew me away was like, he said, like, uh, We had a very good relationship three, four years ago, and all of a sudden stopped. And this is because we had a, like, when we went to therapy with my husband, and uh, the therapist told me, like, I'm doing the same thing my ex-mom did to him. That's why he's, you know... He thinks that uh, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to be everything for him, you have to take care of him, and blah, 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 and uh, so you need to stop uh, uh, bending your son and uh, you know pay attention to your daughter, so this way he kind of finds the man figure in his life and not to be attached to you, because he's going to do the same thing to his wife and to his family okay. in the future. So I kind of uh, got that, so I kind of, you know, distanced myself to from my son, but not in a way that um, I thought, you know, I'm just going to ask him if he wants food. I wouldn't ask him three times, or I wouldn't wash his clothes. If he wants me, Okay, that's I fine. But, so wh- uh, you know, I kind of, yeah, I, but I think I don't know what he's talking about because I don't see... Um uh myself distance emotionally from
1: him. Well, I mean I don't I'm I can't answer attacked. that for you, but we have to let him answer that for you. And let it be his truth. You know, when you say I don't see myself, if he's saying he feels that we have to validate when you talk about empathy, it seems like you feel like I'm being distant. I wanna understand it not no, I'm not being distant because I've been here and I'm doing everything. So you have to allow for him to have his experience and to share that with you, meaning that you have to be able to tolerate him telling you, you know, Mom, you didn't do good in this. You hurt me in this way. I don't like that you but did doctor, this.
2: Can I ask you a question? Let's say, for instance, he was in Europe for six months, uh-huh. uh, study abroad, and then uh, we never went there because okay. I couldn't leave my daughter. And... Uh, uh, But my daughter went to this country a couple of years ago, last year, because she had a project from New York, Colombia, and she went to uh, one of the South American countries to work there. And I had to take a couple of her luggages because it was too expensive. Okay, but
1: even right now, I feel like, can I stop you? I feel like you're trying to justify something. You can just tell me what uh, you is. did.
2: No, the reason is he kept telling me...
1: I know, but do you hear what I've I'm been... saying? Yeah, you went and visited her and you didn't visit him, but you're justifying okay. it to me right yes. now.
2: Okay. So what, do you, what, do I, what should I tell him
1: then? You can ask him about that. If he felt like that wasn't fair that you visited her and didn't visit him, first say, I can understand how you felt that way. And later on, you can under- explain to him what happened and why you went. I'm sure you already did the way you already told me the story. I'm sure that you said that first. But empathy means saying, I can see how you didn't like that I never visited you. And just sitting with that for a little bit. But I don't think that's easy for you to tolerate, that to sit with that feeling of maybe to him I did something wrong or hurtful in some way. And that's why I'm saying the way you were explaining to me, you were going into the justification for two minutes about why you did what you did to make sure you were not guilty and off the hook. But I wasn't really, to me, it didn't matter that much it matters what your son thinks but i wasn't focused on should you have gone to see your daughter or not i understand circumstances can be different and there's so many things going on but maybe to your son again there was that feeling of yeah with her you wanted to go because she was doing this good thing and it was a because of colombia and you, even the way you told me colombia as if you know making sure to, to mention that that it was like something so great and yeah you went to visit her on this big project but when i went away it wasn't worth your time
2: so should I just say that uh, I understand your feeling and
1: Well first uh, make sure you do don't d- don't just don't just say you understand see if you actually can try to understand and if you're not sure you do understand tell him you want to understand it more and ask him. So again you're going back to putting out the fire. How do I make him feel okay? Should I say this and that makes him feel okay? But I'm saying yes. you genuinely have to understand oh, okay, you felt hurt that I went and visited your sister. When she was doing something abroad and when you did some kind of study abroad, I never came in six months. And maybe you wanted me to come and that felt like I was favoring her over you. Because even to me, you said, no, we didn't favor her. I don't know if you did or didn't or what happened, but he might feel that way. And you have to allow for him to have that feeling. And if you want to actually empathize, because you're saying, should I tell him I understand? I don't want you to just tell him you understand. Try to genuinely understand and express that to him, not just the words because that's what he's going to feel like. No, you know what? My mom says she understands, but she doesn't get me. And people do that a lot. And usually the word I understand is not people don't like that so much, or I I know what you feel. It can kind of invalidate in a way too. Saying I know exactly what you feel. But you could say, I can see how that bothered you, or I can see how that upset you. But again, not just I want to give you a script to read it. I want you to genuinely feel it and try to connect to him that's the part where i can't there's no script for this or for you to read a book that says what to say to your 24 year old son because it has to be something you genuinely feel with him and are having a communication with him not just something that you just read off a script so we see how big this being the good mom not hurting them putting out the fires is the way you approach most of your communication with him and it's having an impact i do have to go because i realize i'm way over commercial so sorry, no doctor. don't be sorry oh, doctor,
2: is there,
1: is <laughs> and it goes back you don't have to be you... sorry I, I was the one that no, kept no, no. us on is
2: there a book that you can recommend also for me
1: <laughs> y- yes how to talk to your 24 year old son no i'm just kidding i don't have a book in mind <laughs> that has that but you know you we we've talked a lot about the things i don't nothing comes to my mind right now about Talking to your son in this sense, but it's more about really talking to him. Let him be the book. Go talk to him and give him that space okay. to, to tell oh, you what's thank going you on. So much, My doctor. pleasure. Nice thank talking you, to
2: you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Have a great Bye-bye, day. Bye
1: bye. I'm sorry. I hung up on her that last second. We're going into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We do have a few callers on hold, but because I just have a few minutes left, I don't want to bring anyone on for just three, four minutes. So I'll just continue a bit on what the with that last caller. Um, people who are becoming parents, or if you are a parent, I think it's very important, wonderful to read a lot of books about parenting um, to understand yourself better. And some books, like *Parenting from the Inside Out* by Daniel Siegel, talks about that. Uh, to go to therapy with your partner before marriage and then before having kids that can be very helpful. Once you have kids, be very open to getting help reading books and all of that. Very, very important to do all those things. Um, But then also recognize as I was uh, making the point with her, that a lot of what we're talking about is giving you the tools, but then your child or your children are so much of the information about what you need to do or how you need to respond. So it's not just about there's a recipe to how to parent. There are these concepts and philosophies and things that we can learn, and even techniques that could be helpful. But then at the end of the day, it's looking at your child and going back to what I was mentioning before about independence and freedom of expression and seeing who they are, because that's going to determine more of how you respond yes, it's important to talk to your kids about things and then, but if you realize you're talking to your child and they say, get away, I don't want to talk to you, you don't have to continue that conversation. You give them give them space or um, you want to explore different things with them or talk to them about a certain topic. If they're not open to having the conversation, they're going to be what will dictate what you can or even really we can say should in that situation do. That would be the best and there's no how-to recipe of every step of the way. So be aware of how much we can Um, learn and we should prepare ourselves, but then so much of it is what you experience with them and letting them teach you as well. And speaking of getting ready to be a parent, I just heard some wonderful news. And even as I share this, um, I don't know, they know they haven't completely told everyone, so maybe I'll get in trouble for this. But anyway, uh, my good friend Sina, who I've known for gosh over 30 years really because even as little kids we knew each other um just found out yesterday that him and his lovely wife vanessa are expecting a baby boy so i'm very happy for him and excited for him and her for vanessa and cena congratulations wishing you guys all the best and looking forward to meeting the little guy sometime soon and excited to see uh, my good friend cena and how he will be as a father as a parent got to see him as um a friend for so many years we'll get to see how you'll be as a father and i'm sure he'll do great but looking forward to seeing that process and journey and just wanted to say congratulations to him and vanessa and wishing you guys all the best all right we're reaching the end of today's show again the book of the week for this week is life finds a way what evolution teaches us about creativity by Andreas Wagner, Life Finds a Way. Looking forward to uh, reading that and sharing that with you next week. All right, thank you to Razale here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Deloqui. Have a wonderful day.